0: So we're going to be in 2 Kings this morning. We've been working our way through 1 and 2 Kings for a few weeks now, and this is uh, a nice turning point. Now, by the way, 1 and 2 Kings is not uh, two different books. It's one, one book split in half for practical purposes, and and so it's a continuing story. So if you're reading 1 Kings, don't stop at the end of 1 Kings and And jump over to Matthew or something, you're missing like half the story, right? Um, Just keep on going, it flows right into the next thing, all right? So I want to remind you to start with about something that I mentioned weeks ago that if you forget I mentioned it, you'll start getting confused, okay? Um, Which is, I think it was like the first few weeks, towards the beginning of 1 Kings, we had Two guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and this is one of the things that makes kings confusing. Is the names sound really, really similar, and you get them confused. Um, you had King Rehoboam, who was sinful and refused to listen to lighten the yoke that his father had put on the people. Remember that guy? And they all came to him and said, you know, make it easier on us. And he was like, no, I'm going to make it harder. That guy. Um, he started a rebellion. And you have Jeroboam, who capitalized on that rebellion. And you ended up with Israel being split in two, the north and the south, right? Um, Rehoboam was in the south with the tribe of Judah, as well as most of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin got kind of split in half itself. It's sad because I'm, I'm partial to Benjamin. It's my, what I'm named after. But, and in the north uh, were the remaining ten tribes plus the remainder of the tribe of Benjamin under the kingship of Jeroboam, and that division has remained. So, what happens in Kings is you get you kind of have two storylines running at the same time, and it can get a little confusing when you jump back and forth between the two. Okay, so you just need to remember that that, that dynamic has always been there, it becomes more prominent as we go through Second Kings and get towards the end of the story because one group kind of gets you know, Israel's worse than Judah, but Judah's pretty bad. That's kind of the situation, Judah's like 20% more righteous than Israel for a minute, okay? But don't get too encouraged. It gets encouraging for a minute, and then it goes sideways for them too, all right? So that's kind of what, and you have them kind of, the way the story is told, they sort of do this number back and forth, okay? Um, So just pay attention to those words. When you see the word Israel, that's not what Israel was before we started reading Kings. It's one nation. That's the south, and Judah to the north, all right? Okay, Um, so now we have, remember last week, we read about the death of Ahab, which, which, who was kind of the worst king of all of them. Uh, but, you know, it's like comparing bad to bad. It's, it's, they're all bad. But Ahab was the worst. His wife Jezebel is still alive. Um, succeeding Ahab is his son Ahaziah, who is definitely walking in his father's footsteps. Okay, he's pretty bad too. Um, He's Ahab's son. He takes the throne in Israel and follows in his father's footsteps. However, I don't think the central figure of today's story is Ahaziah. It's not the king. I think it's Elijah and Elisha. The central figure is Elijah. Ahaziah is notable only in that he is the last king with the dubious honor of being rebuked and prophetically cursed by Elijah before Elijah leaves the planet. He's the last guy to get Elijah stepping into his throne room and letting him have it, all right? Otherwise, he's just another idolatrous king. So I want you to get that focus here. Even though Ahaziah has talked about a lot, I don't think he's the point. I think Elijah and Elisha, don't get confused by that either. I don't know what it is with the names, but that's what they do, all right? So Ahaziah has two big problems facing him. Here's some context. The first problem he has is the Moabites are rising up in war against him. So he's got a war problem, a military problem. And number two, he's bedridden after falling through a second floor lattice and getting injured. So he is literally confined to his bed and he's dying. His solution to that is very pagan. is not to go to God or to a prophet and say, what's God doing? Instead, he sends messengers to... Baal's above, some false god that was some kind of derivative of Baal. We don't really know what that was all about. Just, some, just another idol that was worshipped, probably a regional thing. It's like, oh, you know, we've got Baal, the big god that everybody's into, so we have our own, like, version of that, okay? The messengers are to ask this idol to tell him if he's going to die or recover. He doesn't go to God. He goes to an idol that was made from human hands. God sends the angel of the Lord to tell Elijah to intercept the messengers on the way and prophesy judgment and death against Ahaziah. Elijah obeys, intercepts the messengers, and sends them back to their king. Okay, that's the setup. Ahaziah is bedridden from an injury. He sends messengers to an idol, and on their way, Elijah intercepts them with a real word from God, and here's what Elijah says. Okay? This is 2 Kings 1, 5 through 5-8. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are sending to inquire Baal's above, the god of Ekron? Ekron is a city or a region therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up but you shall surely die he said to them what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things i love this part it's very dramatic verse eight they answered him he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist and he said it is a lie the Tishbite." you can see it right who is this mystery man Who came out of the woods and stopped you on the road and said, "Go back to your king," and you tell him he's going to die because he didn't inquire of God; he inquired of some idol in Ekron or wanted to, tried to. He says, "Who was this masked man?" And all the only description they have is his weird outfit. And Ahaziah immediately knows it's Elijah the Tishbite. He's come out of hiding out of the woods, not hiding, but coming out of the woods, and as cursing. And this is bad news, because Elijah has a reputation when what Elijah says happens. And when Elijah curses you and says you're going to die, you're toast. Remember Ahab? He thought he could trick God by putting on a costume and looking like someone else. Right? Like Superman putting on his Clark Kent glasses and thinking he just disappears. But a random arrow flies through the air and kills Ahab in the middle of the battlefield. And here his son is, and Elijah comes to his messengers and says, you're going to die. And Ahaziah knows that's bad news. He fears Elijah, but he does not understand where Elijah's anointing comes from. He doesn't understand that Elijah is speaking for God, that God is speaking through Elijah. Elijah's not the one. James tells us Elijah was just a man with a nature just like ours. He just prayed a lot. He just prayed. Elijah's not any different than you or me. He's just a guy that prays. And a hazy doesn't understand this. So, what does a hazy do? He's just as dumb as his dad. 2 Kings 1 9 to 10. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50, meaning his 50 soldiers. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, Oh, come, says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, "If, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Just like with Jezebel, soldiers are sent to kill him after obeying God. this sound like a familiar moment for Elijah? But this time Elijah does not run away and hide in the desert and go into a depression then go to a cave. This time Elijah sits on the hill and responds with both humility and confidence in God. I love, love, love this response. He doesn't stand up there like Superman with his hands on his, his fists on his hips and his chest out and blast him, he just sits there, unmoved and seemingly unconcerned, and he says, if if I am a man of God, then may fire come from heaven and blast you. <laughs> and of course he is. God confirms Elijah in that moment by sending fire not from Elijah, but from heaven. You'd think this would send a message to the king. Wait a minute, fire didn't come out of Elijah's fingertips. It just came out of the sky. God sent fire and burned up not just my my leader, but all 50 of his soldiers right there in the road. That would have been quite a terrible sight. But he doesn't do that. Ahaziah sends 50 more men to the same fate. Let's just try again. Maybe... I don't know. I don't know what he is. I can't even get in his head at this point. He's just like his dad. He's just like his dad. This is what he learned from his dad. He sends another 50 more men after this. So 50 first, they get destroyed by fire. The second 50, same fate. Same exact thing. Fire from heaven burns them up. Ahasius sends another. This is the third 50. This is the third time. This time, now imagine being the captain and those soldiers on the third run. (laughs) Great. What have I signed up for? I don't want to do this. So their captain wisely throws himself at the feet of Elijah and begs for mercy. Just please don't burn us up. I don't want to do this. Have mercy on me. I'm a good guy. I got wife and kids at home. I don't want to be here. I'm not with that guy, but I have to come because he'll kill me. And so I'm stuck between a guy who I know is going to kill me and a guy who might kill me. So I'm just going with the guy who might kill me. And I'm hoping you won't do it. Please spare us. And Elijah doesn't just spare him. Elijah prays and he asks God and God says, go with him, go down with him. So Elijah follows this captain and his 50 back to King Ahaziah, and there he meets, he walks in, just like Elijah likes to do. He just appears before the king, and he repeats the exact same prophecy to him, word for word. He says no commentary, no editorializing, no extra anything. He just says exactly what God told him the first time. Elijah was not born with confidence and maturity. If you remember Elijah's story, we saw James five seventeen tells us he's just a man. And then we watched Elijah grow. And he gets tested by Jezebel and he has a really hard time. And he crumbles underneath that pressure, just like all of us do. We, talk, we talked about that a few weeks ago. But here he is and he's a different man. This guy has both humility and confidence. He's able to walk before a king who's now sitting Three hordes of soldiers after him, two of which have been consumed. And he is bold enough to say what God says, but not anything else. I think this is a real gift to Elijah. I think this is just my... He doesn't say this. But I think God gives us, in his grace, chances to return to our failures. Not always, but sometimes you get a chance to walk back around and try again because he's a good father. This wasn't just about Ahaziah being an idolatrous king. It was also about Elijah coming back around to a similar situation and doing the right thing and God backing him up. That's a gift. So Elisha enters the story here, if you're reading along, but I want to go back To chapter nineteen for a minute. I'm not going to read it because Elisha was actually introduced right when Elijah came out of the cave in chapter nineteen. Because Elijah had complained. Remember Elijah in his depression, laying in the cave, complaining to God. He had a list of complaints, and one of those complaints was that he was alone. Now he wasn't alone because God said, "There's seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to Baal." It was a lie that he was alone, but he felt alone. I won't ask for a show of hands. But I just want you to think about your own life. How many times have you felt alone when you were not alone? It's a terrible feeling. And that's how Elijah felt. And God's answer to that was not to slap him behind on the back of the head and say, quit your whining, Elijah. <laughs> he said, all right, look, I'll give you somebody. And his name is Elisha, and I'll tell you where he lives. And I want you to go recruit him. Okay? He gives him a solution in his grace. And Elisha, I love his, his call, is to sneak up on Elisha, who's out working the fields or doing some job, and he takes his cloak, which is a symbolic of Elijah's calling and anointing. Okay? And he just throws it on Elisha and starts walking away. That's Elijah. He's not waiting around. He just says, here, whoosh, and he just starts going. Are you going to follow me or are you not going to follow me? And Elisha literally drops everything he's doing, Says asks Elijah, can I say goodbye to my family? Elijah says, sure. He says goodbye to his family, and he, from that moment on, he is practically attached to Elijah. Drops his work, drops his tools, drops everything he's doing, abandons all of it to follow Elijah. 2 Kings 2, 1 through 3 says this, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, so that's your foreshadowing, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you, from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. So it seems to me Elisha has gotten quite attached to Elijah. Everybody knows prophetically, which is wild, by, by the way. Everybody knows prophetically that Elijah is about to get taken out. And they try to bring it up with Elisha, and he can't talk about it. He says, I know. Shh, I can't talk about this right now. I think that's a beautiful thing. You got Elijah just going, come on, man, follow me or don't, let's go. I ain't got time for waiting around. Elisha picks, drops everything and takes off after Elijah. And by the time we see them again together in the story, Elisha is so bound to Elijah emotionally, personally, that he can't talk about him leaving. Verses 4 through 12, it says, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. and so now he's going to Jericho. And he says, stay here. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master over you? Everybody knows. And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, giving them some space, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, and rolled it up, and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. It's kind of a prophet thing. That's what Moses did, and Elisha will do it later. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. In other words, you seem to be hanging around a lot. Even when I tell you not to, what is it you want? Why are you still here? I'm trying to leave. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha knows what he needs. He knows the deal. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Because Elijah, this, this portion, this anointing, this calling has not been easy. Don't glorify it in a way that's not accurate. You don't want to be Elijah. You don't want to be Paul. <laughs> it was hard. He says, you've asked a hard thing. You're not asking an easy thing. It's easy for God to anoint you. It's hard for you to walk under it and carry it. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. The condition of Elisha receiving the double portion of anointing is that he stay close to Elijah, close enough that when Elijah is snatched out of here, he sees it. Verse 11, and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire. yea this happened. Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. That's a heck of a sentence. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. That's how I want to go out. I mean, they don't have to even be on fire. I mean, it can just be like a Corolla. But it needs to fly. That's what I... I mean, it's amazing. Horses on fire, chariots on fire, come out of the sky, separate Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah hops in, and they go off to heaven. And Elisha's standing there, and he's... He's seen it as he was promised by Elijah. The one prayer that God refused to answer from Elijah in the cave was to kill him. Everything else he gave him. But when Elijah begged God to kill him, God said, no, not ever. I will be sure not to answer that one. Elijah's one of the few people that has never experienced death. You'll meet him one day, and you will have experienced something he never did, which was what it's like to die. I don't know what it's like to die, but he never did. That's amazing. But the the price he paid for that. I believe Elijah, and and among other things, he's very much a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Elijah. Jesus did die, but raised again and was also caught up into the air. Remember the disciples standing there after the resurrection? And they're looking forward to Jesus finally, like he's resurrected. He's beat death. I think now we get to start a ministry. It's time for a revival. And you get to be on stage. Who can deny you now? And Jesus says, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm sending you guys they look around like, who? You guys, you 12 knuckleheads, you're going to be the thing, and I'm leaving, and then he, where does he go? They watch him ascend like a dove into heaven, just like Elijah. Jesus was the prophet of prophets in the way that he called Israel and then the Gentiles to lay down their false worship and come into a new covenant with the Father. Think about when Jesus called his disciples. This is where I want to rest this morning. Jesus called his disciples the same way Elijah called Elisha. Jesus walks up to these disciples. He lets them know who he is, and he says, follow me. And before they can really seem to even get an answer out, he's moving. He's moving. He invites, he gives an invitation, and he leaves. And we have actually one story of the rich young ruler who got the same invitation and couldn't do it. So it's not everybody says yes, but Jesus says, follow me, and he gets moving. He makes the invitation and he moves. This is exactly what Elijah did to Elisha. And Elisha did the right thing. He abandoned everything. He dropped everything. He sold off whatever he needed to sell, and he was all in. And he followed Elijah all the way to the moment of his death, just like Jesus' disciples were meant to follow him. We all get the same offer. This is the offer of salvation, which is not just follow me, it's abandon everything to follow me. And stick close. Because if you see me in my death, if you see me ascend to heaven, then you'll get the double portion. What's the double portion? That's an interesting term. The double portion is the portion that the eldest son would get from their father. It's exactly the word they would use to describe, in every family, the firstborn's portion. The firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance from the father. It's the way their culture worked. Now, I think it's a little questionable. It's not a great practice. It didn't go well for Joseph, but that's how it worked. What Elisha is asking from Elijah is the firstborn's portion. I want a son's portion from you. I'm not your son. I have a father and mother that I left behind to follow you. But I want a son's portion from you. And I don't want land or money or property or any of those things. What I want is a double portion of what's valuable that you have, and that's your anointing. I want that from you, and I want twice what you get. Look at what Elisha says. He exclaims in his emotional outburst when he sees the chariots of fire and Elijah going up. Verses 12 to 14, Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father. Abhi, abhi. Papa, papa. That's what that means. What Elijah what does next, the end of verse 12, as he says, Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah, the God of my father? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. He just had to try it out. <laughs> Did this thing work? Does this, really, does this really happen? Isn't this what it's like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? He says, these things and more will you do in my name. So we kind of go, okay, this person is sick. So, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to roll up the cloak and smack the water and see what happens. I got nothing inside of me to do it. I got no ability, no anything. I just, my faith is teeny, teeny, tiny, like a little mustard seed. The only faith I have is that He told me to do this. That's all the faith I have. So, I'm going to do it. And so, you lay your hands, and you go, in the name of Jesus, and you see what happens. This is how we live as Christians. He tore off his old identity, his old self. All of his, all the outward markers of Elisha, he tore off. All of his anointing, his ability, his power, his wisdom, his everything, his identity, he tore it off and dropped it in two pieces, and he picked up Elijah's clothes, the clothes of his father, and he put them on and then he went about doing, mimicking what Elijah did. And if you follow the miracles coming next, they essentially follow the model of Elijah. It's like reading Elijah's story, but someone else is doing it. This is us. This is what we do. We cling to Christ, we come to him, and when he says, I'm dying and ascending. I'm going to beat death, and I'm going to ascend to be with the Father, and I'm leaving you to do to follow in my footsteps. And I will give you a double portion of my anointing. These things and greater shall you do. And he lays his cloak and his authority on you. And then what we do is we don't go out and be superstars. We just follow and do what he did. Like children. Like children. But just like Jesus paid a price, we pay a price. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he is not calling you to indentured servitude or begrudging submission. He's calling you to belong to the family of God. He's calling you to be a son or daughter of God. You get to say to God, you can call him father. Think about that. Papa. 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 Not hello, Father. Mind if I come in? I'd like to go over the family budget with you. And ask if I could have a little extra this month for the light bill. Just a a little. Just a teeny tiny little bit. Maybe just some spare change. No. He's your Papa. He's your Father. Father. It's what he's invited us into. This is how your relationship with Jesus and the Father is supposed to work. So whatever cost, it's not like Elisha had to think about it and count the cost. They get tired of that language. Like, I know what you mean, count the cost. Like, It's costly to follow Jesus, but Elisha didn't deliberate. I don't know if it's worth it. Jesus told the story The man who finds the treasure in a field and buys the entire field, sells everything, buys the field to get the treasure. Because the treasure is worth it. It's not a bad decision, right? It's not like what bought the field, bought a terrible field and got a bad deal. He buys a field with treasure in it. And when you find Jesus, you go, oh, he's the treasure, There's no consideration about what am I... I don't know if it's worth it to abandon all. This is why the rich young ruler couldn't abandon what he had for Jesus because he didn't see that Jesus was worth it. It's not because he's so rich. It's because Jesus was not great enough in his eyes. And when you see Jesus for who he is and you hear him invite you in to follow him, you say, I'm not leaving his side for anything. Even if he says to stay behind, I'm not doing it. I'm staying close to him. Because I want a son's portion. I want a daughter's portion from him. I want all that I can get. I want to see him beat death with my own eyes. So we cling to Christ in the same way that Elisha clung to Elijah. I think this is not only a great picture of what it means to become a Christian. Buying the field seeing Jesus for all that he is, feeling his cloak placed upon your shoulders and going, oh yeah, I'm in. It's also what it's like to follow him over and over and over again. Elisha, multiple times here, has a decision to make, doesn't he? You notice that? He made the first decision, right? Abandon all, say goodbye to my family, never going home again. Off I go, following Elijah. No real idea what that means or really what this guy is like. Maybe he's crazy. But I'm going to follow him. And then there's successive decisions he makes where he finds out what it really means to follow Elijah. I'll go with you to Bethel. I'll go with you to the Jordan. I'll go with you to Jericho. I'm going to follow you everywhere. Many of you act more like an orphan with God than a beloved son or daughter. You stand over in the corner, And when it feels like you don't quite fit or God seems distant, you retreat into some kind of orphaned identity and you say, oh, I'll stay behind. I'll just hang back here on the outside. I'm not going to stick close to you. I'll just stay back. And you're continually feeling sort of on the outside of what God's doing. You need to hear this. Jesus has invited you, and it's a real invitation, not just to go to heaven with him when you die, but to actually carry around on your shoulders a double portion, the portion of a son or a daughter, and to live that way all the time, clinging to him, close to him, so close that when he moves left, you move left. When he moves right, you move right. As Alan says, when he zigs, you zig. You zig. And when he zags, you zag. Because you're close to him. Jesus' invitation was his death. But you also need to understand he doesn't wait around. He doesn't cajole. He doesn't beg. I don't like the language of will you accept Jesus into your heart. Again, I know, it, I know what it means. But it's a, it's a bad way to put it because Jesus isn't begging to come into your heart. He says, you want to come? Let's go. Here's who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to wait around. I'm not going to beat on the door for forever. I'm just inviting you, and I'm on the move. Do you want to be in the family? If you want the double portion, you've got to be with me in my death and in my resurrection. That's Paul's way of putting it. You died with Christ, you were raised with Christ. So we draw near to him in faith, and he will meet you. This all reminded me of this morning of Revelation chapter 22, 16 to 17. And I want to end with this and then have a chance for you to respond. Revelation 22 says, I, Jesus... This is the closing of the book of Revelation. So the angel he's talking about here is the angel that delivered the revelation to John. Okay? So he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride, who is the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The Spirit and the bride, the Spirit and the church, the Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ are saying to the world the same thing that Elijah said to Elisha and that Jesus said to his disciples, which is, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, but let's get moving. Do you want a daughter's portion? Do you want a son's portion? Then cling to me, not just initially at your salvation, but this is what it's like to walk with me. Let's zig and zag together. Amen? So I want to give you a chance to... I I just feel like a response is needed. Um, We're going to sing together in a minute, but um, I think we should come forward. There's nothing magical about the floor or the carpet up here. It's not like when you step on the carpet up here, there's like Jesus' power in the carpet. But there's something about responding to God in a definitive way. You see what I mean? And I think we should do this. If, if you have been walking around hemming and hawing over following Jesus and clinging to Him, like maybe it's not worth it maybe i'm just and really just an orphan and i don't belong with him maybe the invitation is for others and not myself i just want to invite you to come and just say yes to him whether it's the first time you've ever just heard the gospel and you just want to say yes to him for the first time or if you're at some place in your life where you feel convicted by the holy spirit right now to say yes to him in a new way Yeah, I'll go with you to Jericho. I said I'd follow you. You're going to Jericho. I'm going to Jericho. You're going to Bethel. I'm going to Bethel. Right? I want you to just respond to him, and then we'll pray together. So come on up if you want. I just feel um i think this is from the holy spirit that there's somebody here who is saying in their mind and in their heart i tried this and it doesn't work i tried god or i tried jesus whatever you would put it but i tried this i tried responding to him i tried saying yes and it didn't work and what you mean is you came to him and you had some problems you wanted him to solve for you and not all of them are solved But that's not how Jesus works. He's not the great problem solver in the sky. The question is, is he worth following even if he does not solve your problems? In fact, he's worth following even if following him takes me into more problems, more trouble, more loss, more grief. That's the God of the Bible. That's what he wants from you. And that's the question. Now, I'm not saying he, doesn't, he isn't going to heal and deliver and save and bless and all that stuff. He's a good dad. but that is, That's not how he... He says, do you want to follow me? And then he gets moving. And he'll solve some problems now and he'll solve some later. But the condition is that he's worth it all. So I just feel like there's, there's a thought out there in somebody's head like that. And I, just, I think you need to submit that thought, that feeling to him. Every precondition you have on following him has to be given to him with no condition. I'm yours wherever it takes me. So God, I just pray now for everyone, God, whether whether it's that person I was just addressing or or God, the many others that are here just saying yes to you. God, we, we give you right now a blank check. blank check God whether it costs us a little or costs us everything you alone are worth it we want a double portion a portion you give to your sons and daughters that's how we want to live now and it's what we're looking forward to in eternity give us the heart of Elisha we confess that we often go right when you go left and go left when you go right. We're slow to hear, slow to listen. We get confused and hard-hearted. God, we're like Elijah so often hiding in the cave. God, we, we want you, we need you to work in us in a way that we can follow you with the simplicity and faith and humility of Elisha, he just sort of shrugged his shoulders, balled up the cloak of Elijah, and hit the water to see what it would do. God, help us to come to you like children, asking their papa for a double portion, God, I pray for those who continually struggle with feeling like an orphan in the family of God, feeling like they just don't fit or they just don't quite come up to snuff with Jesus, that they feel a little left behind by him sometimes. They feel a little on the outside. God, I pray that you would draw them into yourself right now, that they would see that that is not your heart for them. That your invitation to them is full and complete and total. Your love for them is full and complete and total. There is no door in your household that is closed to them. God, rid us of that the hesitation of an orphan God make us people who were delighted and bold and confident to come before their fathers